Pradeep, so good to have you join us today. Thank you for taking the time to share. Um, I don't know if everyone knows this, but I've been at Newcom for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And for all of those 10 years, I've known you. Um, I've known you actually first and foremost as a small group leader. Um, you, were my, you and Bridget were my first small group leaders. And um, I guess at this point, we're just kind of taking turns leading one another. Yeah, and you still stayed. So that's great. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> Um, and I have so many memories from those 10 years ago. Um, since then, we've been neighbors, um, we've been friends, we've been even um, ministry and prayer partners. I remember so many times we've like literally cried out to God together for some of the things that are in our hearts, on our minds, um, in our lives. Um, and so I'm just grateful for you to be here today. Something else that people may not know is that we've bonded over a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. One of them being like, flavorful food. I think you both, both of us would kind of agree. We don't even know why bland food is a thing. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> but one of the things that we've really bonded about, and probably most importantly, is our love for Jesus and for community. Yeah, thank you, Ruth, for having me. It's been a really great 10 years of getting to know you um, and getting to see what God has done through you at New Community. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very, yeah, absolutely treasure the friendship that we've been able to have, um, the brotherhood, sisterhood that mm -hmm. exists here and how it also expands now is like, I've gotten to be married and know Laura and you have Kenny and like for us to all grow together and then our, have our overall group come alongside us and us to be alongside them mm -hmm. as we walk through life together. Um, I've been at Newcom for over 12 years at this point. And when I first came to Newcom, I was here I just moved to Chicago, hadn't really known anybody, hadn't really met anybody, and I was searching for a church. And Newcom became that home church for me. And the group that I joined when I joined Newcom, that small group, is our small group today in some version. Mm -hmm. It's changed a lot over the 12 years that I've been here. And I, I know that Gerald and Vivian Liu had just such a huge part in bringing me in and allowing me to be part of their family. Mm. And so many people have come in and gone out of our group. So many people have um, been called elsewhere. Mm. And God's been constant throughout that. We've been able to um, now see Gerald and Vivian have three kids. Um, and for me to have Silas. And we walk through all of that together and God's revealed himself and allowed me to grow spiritually as a result of receiving from so many different people, them being the first. In addition to that, I feel like I've grown spiritually as a result of meeting God with the different men at New Community mm -hmm. in prayer groups on Saturday, which is completely unexpected, but it's ended up being such a powerful time for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then in those moments, we also understand that as we're receiving, we now have the opportunity to give. And that's why I do involve myself in youth ministry or in other places wherever they are mm -hmm. because I've learned from being at New Community that discipleship is being poured into, but also getting the opportunity as a result of being invested in to invest as well. Mm, that's a word. I mean, thank you for talking about giving and receiving because you're right. I think that's part of the natural ebb and flow of community. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're receiving more, sometimes we're giving more. Sometimes we're doing both at the same time, and that is the gift of community. I also really appreciated how you talked about community really spans across all different spaces, 
Um, I mean, of, of all people, I love talking about community in the microgroup and the life group setting. And we're actually in the middle, um, in the midst of life group registration for the spring season. And I'm, I'm pumped about that. <laughs> and just reminded that like community really does span across into marriages, right? Into our relationships, into organic relationships within the church, um, through with our youth in our kids' city, and discipleship expands all those different spaces. And I know you didn't mention this explicitly, but I know that you have really been a part of receiving, like you shared with Lou's family and being received into family, but you have given a lot to our community too. And it's just a joy to see how like, that's truly the gospel that we give, or we receive and we give and we that continues. And I've seen the way you've poured into people and they're now pouring out into other people. And we praise God for that. Thank God, truly. Um, but yeah, it wasn't always, it wasn't always that way. I know that when I first joined Newcom, and I remember joining that community group for the first time, I came in with my own understanding of what that group was going to be. Mm. And I believed I was joining a Bible study group. And so I was very shocked when um, one of our first interactions, well, one of the weeks was we all just met, our, our group met at a bar and we did appetizers and it was a social evening and everybody had a chance to spend time with each other and hang out and then go back home. And the only prayer we did that night was praying over the food. And I, was, I just remember going back and I was like, what is happening here? How is this? What it, this is not what I signed up for. And I had a really, yeah, it was really surprising to me that we, yeah, we didn't go into any scripture. We didn't do a prayer. Um, is this even a church group, right? Is this even a church group? Absolutely. So, so yeah, there I was. Um, in my small group that I had just joined in this church and trying to navigate this, this aspect of community life. Mm -hmm. And I will say that now that has changed so much. While those things such as uh, scripture, Bible study, collectively prayer together is important, my lens is wider. My mm -hmm. lens is wider to say that we need to leave time to spend with each other so that we get to know each other, so that others get to know you. And if it weren't for those times, that we got to spend with each other, getting to know each other and talk to each other. Those things were so important. If it weren't for them, we wouldn't get to places where we can say, here is a really deep prayer request. Here's something about me I want to share with you. I don't get to those places where I want to share something with you if I actually don't trust you and I don't know you. Yes. Um, and so those things were really important for me to learn over the time that I've been here. And so now, my understanding of what a life group looks like looks very different than what it was when I first joined. And I, yeah, I'll also say that when someone joins our group now, because of where I'm at, I don't jump into doctrine and theology because I don't think that that's a reasonable thing to do um, until we get to know the person. And I completely also acknowledge that for our church, for our broader congregation, this might seem really basic. This might seem like, well, yeah, I think we all know that. But I will say, I didn't. And I come from a very different background. And our church as a whole is very multicultural. We are multiracial. We have different cultural backgrounds where Christian culture and Christian cultural backgrounds are very different. Mm -hmm. And so that was me. And so I needed, I needed to learn that. And so there might still be uh, those of us that come from those different backgrounds where it does help to learn these different things and understand that life group is more than a Bible study group. 
Yeah. Pretty what you're describing reminds me a lot of what we talk about at NewCom as life-on-life discipleship. Um, I've been reading the First Nations version of the Bible. Um, It's basically a version of the Bible that's written by and for indigenous people. I highly recommend it. Um, But it goes through the Gospels, and and it's a visually rich version of the Bible. And one of the words that it uses as it talks about Jesus and the disciples is, uh, instead of saying Jesus went here and Jesus did that, um, it says Jesus walked. Jesus walked toward Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Jesus and his disciples walked through Jericho. And that visual of Jesus walking with the disciples, I feel like that is the heart of the life group ministry. That is the heart of following Jesus together in community. And speaking of disciples in the community, like the disciples were Jesus' community, right? Uh These 12 people who were dedicated to following Jesus, um, different backgrounds, but can you actually tell us a little bit more? What do you know about Jesus' community? Sure. So I was talking with a close friend who has been teaching me a lot about Jesus and the community around Jesus. And um, in light of just some reflecting on this past year, one of the things that he said was so profound that I've been sitting with it for a while. And he said, I wonder what dinner table conversations would have been like with Jesus and the disciples, specifically with Simon the Zealot and Matthew, the tax collector, both of whom were within those 12 disciples of Jesus. And I've been sitting with that statement because they're so incredibly different. So two of these 12 disciples Jesus chose seem to be complete opposites. On the one hand, you have Matthew, the tax collector, and then on the other, you have Simon the Zealot. So the tax collector is someone who would have sold out to the Roman Empire who is making money and profiting and doing quite well for himself by collecting money from his own people. Mm. And so he would have been shunned by his community. We know that there are different parts in the New Testament where they say tax collectors were extorting from their own people. Mm. And then on the other hand, you have Simon the Zealot, who's not Simon Peter, but Simon the Zealot. And what we understand from the Zealots where they were trying to usurp the Roman Empire they were trying to claim back culture, people, land, um, and to say, this is, this is ours, like this is not right, to the point where um, it, it, could have been, it could have been violent. And so he would have probably been seen as somebody who was trying to go out there and, and do what's right, defy authority and say, um, we're not gonna stand for this injustice. Hmm. And Jesus called both of them And both of them are now saying, okay, there is something about Jesus that is worth following. And I feel like if I were to put myself in, for example, Simon's shoes, I would say, well, if if Jesus is calling the tax collector, he can't be the Messiah because the Messiah would know better. Mm. The Messiah would know that we are the ones who are actually like putting ourselves out there to do what's right and um, to engage in freedom. But that wasn't the case. So now, You have Jesus at the table with his 12. And at this table, there are these people who are here because they are compelled by Jesus. There is something about Jesus that is so um, strong that draws them in. And then they're at this table, but they don't necessarily like the other people who are at the table with them. Mm -hmm. And that's the power of God. Um, that That is very much like something that I haven't thought about in terms of how much power Jesus truly embodied because he is God and that's the God whom we serve. He's a God that 
is not a God of homogenous spaces. He's a God who's created variety. He's a God who's aware of the diversity and the multiculturalism that exists in the people that are around him. And he calls them all. He calls those who could be mainstream, but he calls those on the margins. Mm -hmm. And all of those people are then sitting at the table with him. So, So yeah, how does this work then? How does this work? Because we know that they're there for Jesus. But how does it work in terms of how they get along with each other? And so this will be where we dive into our first piece of scripture, which is from Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. So Ruth, you talked about how they walked together. So they had done some walking Mm -hmm. and we start to read this portion after they have done some walking. So verse 33 and onwards, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he took, he took a little child and put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. So Ruth, the answer to your question is, I don't think they got along at the beginning because they're walking together and, in, and they're not necessarily listening to Jesus. They're arguing be- between each other about who is the greatest. And I would guess and venture to say some of, some of those conversations are, well, I am trying to reclaim our culture hmm. as opposed to you selling out for money. Or, well, Simon Peter maybe is the one that Jesus goes to often, or maybe it's John, or like different things about what they thought made them better than everybody else start to come out. And then they start arguing about who is better and why the other person's better. So it seems to be community with some conflict. Yeah. I mean, as you're talking about it, I'm like, yeah, that's messy. And I can't help as you talk about the makeup of the um, disciples of Jesus um, to see the connection between the diversity that they had and the diversity we, we have at our Newcom family. Mm-hmm. Um, and the diversity we have in our global church in the global church community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a newcom people talk a lot about, um, we, we talk a lot about the racial diversity here, and that's really important. Like this, the color of our skin, the shades that we have, um, we experience that differently. Um, and that's really important to talk about. But there are all types of diversity, right? Mm-hmm. There's political diversity. We have cultural diversity. We have even at times theological diversity. Absolutely. And that is messy. I feel like diversity is one of those things like that is more and more popular, right? It's popular to like diversity, but it's not popular to value it. And I would take another step forward and say to, to not just like it or value it, but to, to embrace it fully. Um, for, for a year, a while ago, um, I was living intentionally outside of my natural social networks, which really means I was trying to live um, and be in community with people who are Asian. Mm-hmm. And that year I was living in a mostly black community, um, going to working and serving and going to church in a mostly black community. I was also on a team, like my roommates, my teammates were all not Asian. Um, And that experience that year was one of the richest experience I had. And 
it was also one of the hardest because that year, and I don't think we talk about this very much about multi-ethnic community, but it can feel lonely because the very people that loved me and cared for me were not able to affirm in me the things that I deeply long for. Mm -hmm. The parts of my identity that say like, this is important, but they couldn't affirm that in me. And I, me too, like I couldn't affirm it in them. And so there was both a joy and an ache in being in multi-ethnic community. And I don't know if we talk about that enough. Yeah, absolutely. The, the multi-ethnic community aspect is very hard. It's very challenging. Diverse communities certainly bring up a lot of different challenges that then require us to um, lean in to decide to choose each other. Um, but I know that there have been a lot of weeks where I haven't wanted to go to small group. Mm, tell me more about that, Pradeep. Yeah. <laughs> I love how you always do this to me, Ruth. Um, <laughs> so it takes, emotional, it takes emotional energy to show up in a place that is very diverse and very different. Mm. Um, yeah, building relationships allows you to get to a place where you can start having conversations and you start having conversations and you learn how different you are from each other. And then you realize that there's just tension because you're so different. Mm. Um, things like, I love Bible study. I think for next season, we should jump into this different book of the Bible. Could be a conversation that could happen in small group, but maybe because this group is so diverse, this, the response is, well, I would rather do this instead. I would rather read this book. I would rather do a podcast. And then what happens now? Do I say, oh my goodness, what's wrong with so-and-so that this person doesn't want to study the Bible. Mm. But if we, don't, if we don't lean in a little bit more, if we don't spend that emotional energy, maybe we don't get to understand why. Maybe we don't get to understand why um, there may have been instances where scripture is used to hurt people when, um, yeah, when it is used in the wrong way, when it is completely uh, misinterpreted and then taught in that way. And so we now get to sit in a place where not all of us are, are in the same spot and all of us feel things that are different and we get to walk through it together as opposed to um, if I were to just take that position and say, well, this is just the way it is as opposed to how do we get to heal together? How do I get to learn more so that I can actually say, well, I, I don't think you might like to do this because you've shared these different things with me before. So um, unity in Christ is not uniformity. Mm -hmm. Unity in Christ is unity. We are all very different. Mm. Um, that is very clear in the passage that we just read. Um, it's also clear that there is not necessarily assimilation, but there is space where this God who is so much more powerful is then able to bring us together and say like, you are united, but I don't need you to be uniform. Um, I, think, I think the last thing I'd like to say about that is in these diverse spaces where you need to do this work, um, unity also means that there are times when concessions are made out of love for each other and out of a deep understanding and care for each other. And I wanna disclaim that a concession doesn't mean that there's no conflict. Um, a concession doesn't mean that it's okay to hurt people a concession just means I see you where you're at. I, and then you see me where I'm at. And you know that maybe this thing is very important to me. And that's where, you know, you have that in Christ concession that exists. Mm, yeah. I mean, 
that whole process requires a lot of listening to God, right? Because I, I know what I think <laughs> and listening to the other person doing the best, but a lot of listening to God and that's just exhausting. Can I just be honest about that? Like, Absolutely. Even just you talking about this, I'm feeling a little bit, a little anxious, a little more exhausted because as I've leaned into multicultural community this past year, it leaves me with needing more naps <laughs> and just really like leaning in is a lot. And, um, and so as I think about that, I think we need just to, actually when we, when we just prepare, let's be honest here, right? Here we go. <laughs> as we were preparing to do this co-teaching opportunity, we had our conflicts, right? Like we are both Asian, but even in our, we have a lot of differences. And I was reminded of that through this process. Yeah. And there was a joy and there was also difficulty in that. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm just reminded of that and just being really honest. Yeah, that's that. I'm glad you. I'm glad you <laughs> called it out, Ruth. Um, for our brothers and sisters who are listening, um, when as we've been putting this together, we've gotten to work through this together with each other and say, um, Ruth, you are more structured in the way that you approach this, and I might be more tangential in the way that I approach uh, the the way the way I approach this, and that's that's multicultural, um, and that's okay, and there's enough of a relationship that exists over here with God being our foundation um, that God calls us to then share this with everybody else and that's okay. Yeah, thanks for deep. And I'm glad, I'm glad we've worked through things because it is a gift to be able to share both of our voices and to share the scriptures through um, our voices. And so but go, speaking of scripture, scripture Let's go back to that. Can mm -hmm. you orient us and kind of share from scripture when you have seen some of the disciples, some of the community that Jesus had experience their differences? Mm -hmm. Sure, so we just talked about Mark chapter nine, where Jesus calls his disciples together and says, here's what greatness really looks like. So here we go to Mark chapter 10, literally the next chapter where Jesus needs to have the same conversation with his disciples, it's the same group. So here we are in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Then James and John, James and John are two of the 12 disciples, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the other 10 disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, so here we are again in this incredibly diverse community with 
two of the disciples saying, we're not asking for earthly things, we're asking for heavenly things. Mm -hmm. And Jesus having to call them back again because everybody else is mad and angry with them, or maybe even a, why didn't I think about that? <laughs> um, but the takeaway here is that we don't, we don't get humility all the time. We don't understand, like it is, it is not in our human nature to really like grasp the kingdom of God and understand that. And there will be failure along the way. And there is a gracious and loving God who repeats himself mm. so that we get to understand what he's trying to teach us and show us. Yeah, the Jesus who repeats himself. Oh, I hate repeating myself. And yes, Jesus did a lot. I mean, as you talk about Jesus teaching the disciples through living life together, it sounds like as Jesus is teaching them, they also had to do a lot of unlearning in community. Mm -hmm. um, unlearning, like sometimes we talk about discipleship, it's not just about acquiring new information, but it's about shedding the old ways of thinking and the old ways of being that no longer serve. Mm -hmm. And so my question for you, Pradeep, is as you think about your experience in community, what does that unlearning process look like for you? What are some of the things you've been unlearning? Yeah, unlearning, unlearning is difficult. Uh, so as an, as an Asian, as an Asian who is Indian, I have a decent amount of unlearning to do. My culture reveres things that enable you to be elevated above everybody else. So education, education is so important, but like what type of education you received, how good the education was, which college you went to. But then in India, you also have ranks. So it's not even enough that you get into wherever it is you need to get into. You have ranks where you are ranked in your class against everybody else. And so it's commonplace to say, um, hi, so-and-so who I just met on the street, what rank did you get? Wow. And so you have that number that's then assigned to you. Uh, I did not have a great rank, just so you know. Um, job. It doesn't stop with school, but then what kind of job do you have? Um, there have been instances where people have asked salary, um, where, yeah, and that's all again, like how do I benchmark you against somebody, something, someone else, whatever that looks like. Um, spouse, that's like whether one is married or not married is of pretty significant importance in my culture. And then you have the kingdom of God where God is affirming all of us, yes. um, and God is giving us wholeness and celebrating that we are created whole within him, um, single or married. Amen. Um, so there's this aspect of perfection and unlearning um, is coming back to this kingdom of God where it's where you have to say is, what is this desire that exists to be better than everybody else? You know, Ruth, our community group knows that the best way to get me to do something is to tell me that I can't do it. And to be like, well, I bet Pradeep can't do that. Or, or, like, or like this example that you just gave where we were throwing a grape up in the air and trying to catch it in our mouth and being like, whoa. And then so now I go back and I practice it and I come <laughs> back to the group the next time so I can be like, guys, look what I can do. Literally, this happened. <laughs> um, Spiritual gifts. No, that is not a spiritual gift, let me be clear. Um, but yes, that's, that's part of it, right? This competitive nature. And then you look at Jesus. You look at his kingdom that he is ushering in and the lack of competition that he is calling for in his kingdom. He is literally telling his disciples, I do not want you to worry about how I perceive you. I don't want you to argue about how I perceive you. He is going, um, he's going the opposite direction. So that part is certainly an aspect of unlearning, 
there is more to unlearning. And so these other aspects that I want to share are also unlearning this, um, oof, here's where we get a little bit more Asian, but unlearning conflict avoidance, hmm. because saving face could be something that might be revered in your culture. But to say, I will try and disrupt this unhealthy piece and try and bring in a healthy conflict. And I didn't necessarily know that healthy conflict could exist hmm. until this church. And Ruth, you've been a huge part of that. You've taught me that healthy conflict can exist. You've shown me how it can exist. And um, there are times when, even when Kenny and I are very um, animated and passionate about something that you've been able to come and like name those things and like bring about reconciliation. But healthy conflict allows for reconciliation. It allows for spiritual growth. It allows for God to be glorified. Um, so it's just a matter of us continuing to follow Jesus in that direction and learning that that's okay. And then unlearning, um, unlearning that there are places where you don't want to say something or you don't want to confess because you, you don't want to let somebody know that this is something that you're struggling with. But unlearning that as well. Newcomb certainly taught me that over the last couple of years where people have been able to name and confess sins that are hidden and just not shared. And um, yeah, I just continue to come back to the men's retreat that happened in early 2019 and how God just continued to break down barriers um, because that is our God. And, we can, and then we're gonna get to this place where we are unlearning um, that, yeah, we're unlearning this aspect where we hold something so close and we don't confess it to our community because we don't get closer to God that way. The last part about unlearning that I want to mention is unlearning the need to be served first. Mm. Um, this has become, so I'm convicted as we, as we talk about this, um, I'm convicted as I think about unlearning this aspect of ser being served first. And it comes really, it comes up in marriage, I think, because you are your, your base self. And for example, on a day where you start working before eight and you start, and you stop working after five, um, you just want to vegetate and you just want to be and you don't want to do anything because you feel like you're owed a little bit of time. Um, but even that, I realize that in doing that, I am also just serving myself. We have 11 month old who um, manages to use more dishes than <laughs> I ever thought possible. He manages to pull toys out with a speed that is very impressive. <laughs> Um, but in all of those things that I should also, yeah, try and serve Laura in that. And that's what I got convicted of. I shared that with her before we talked over here, um, because that's really hard. It's really hard to be what Jesus is asking us to be, the servant of all, not of some, not of our community group whom we see once a week, but like the servant of all. Yeah, it is so hard. And I just want to affirm in you, Pradeep, like, the work of unlearning is totally the work of the spirit. And for us, it is the work of surrender. And I have seen you do that. I have been seeing you do some of the work you've been saying about unlearning. I've been seeing that in live motion sometimes. And I praise God for that. And the invitation for all of us, and thank you for your honesty, is to really be honest about things that we need to be learning and unlearning. Because the invitation to community, we don't just magically show up because we all love Jesus really in sync with one another. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of us grew up in homes where we felt unloved. 
and neglected. And so we jump into community and we don't know how to love one another well. I mean, for some of us, the norm was coming from a home where um, being emotional was not a good thing, being honest was a liability. And so we don't know how to do that with one another. Some of us grew up learning that you need to speak up and you need to speak up first and speak up fast. And so it's for some of us, it's really hard to listen first and to speak last. Um, and and Pradeep, as we were preparing this, I felt maybe this is from the Holy Spirit. I feel that as, as, as we we're preparing, I, was, I think there's a special word for some of us who are hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, just like God spoke to the people, um, to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, um, I feel that God is talking to some of us in our congregation who are hiding, who they might even be in a microgroup or in a life group already, but they're hiding. And God's words to, the, to us who are hiding is, where are you? Mm-hmm. Where are you at? Stop hiding. I know you're naked. I know you feel ashamed, but come because I desire to clothe you. And that is an invitation of community. And so um, as I just shared, I just feel like we shared a lot of heavy things. And these are like big things. And these are impossible to do without God. So I just feel compelled to pray right now really fast. Is just, God, help us in our weakness. That God, if this thing of community is truly a gift from you, help us, give us the courage to receive it. Um, Pradeep, as we just kind of pivot in the last part of our conversation, my question for you is, is the purpose of community for our spiritual growth? Yeah, so let's, um, let's take a look at where we started. We started with Matthew, the tax collector, Simon, the zealot, and Jesus calls them. And Jesus is crucified, Jesus dies, Jesus rises again. And in the Great Commission, Jesus um, is now telling his disciples to go and bear witness to the, the truth and the reality of Jesus. And now you've got these two people amidst his disciples who are now fully united in their purpose. And then they wait for the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, they receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And now they are united as a result of the same Spirit. And then it says the disciples were one in heart and mind. So there was true reconciliation that happens with them where, yeah, the power of God so overcomes them that they love each other and they are reconciled to each other. And where they end up after that from what we can understand from historians is that they end up, they ended up being martyred mm-hmm. in separate places of the globe and they were physically separated from each other, but they were united in their purpose. They were united in their mission, but God had called them to kingdom work. So to answer your question, I, I think that we are called into kingdom work that is beyond our reconciled microgroup our reconciled life group when we get there um, that then glorifies God. So while the reconciliation and the deep work of unity happens for our good, that we get to experience that goodness, it is ultimately for God's glory. um, And it is ultimately for a place where we are called to then move as the Spirit is leading us to do, understanding that, yeah, I might not be physically close to you anymore. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's powerful that power of Jesus-centered community has the power to bring together everyone, but then also the power to send them back out, mm-hmm. to bring together people across um, differences and through different barriers, to bring them together, but then to send them back out for the cause, to advance the cause of Jesus. 
That's so powerful. I mean, as you're sharing about the history, I was just thinking about Simon um, and Matthew at mm-hmm. the beginning when they're called to be disciples. Mm-hmm. They said yes to Jesus. But by the end of their time of walking together with Jesus, living life together, three years about, right? They were not only saying yes to Jesus, but they were saying yes to one another. Mm-hmm. And I know this because in scripture, it talks about in Jesus' latter days. In John 13, 35, it says, he was specifically talking to the disciples. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's two verses, but love one another comes up a couple times there, right? It says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, as you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Mm-hmm. And I want to bring special attention to that little part in the middle. It's short, but it says, as I have loved you. That, that the, the Jesus who demonstrated to the disciples this patient love, this enduring love, this sacrificial love, the love that pierced through their ugliness, mm-hmm. their betrayal, this love that said, I do over and over and said, I choose you, that I choose you across all barriers. I choose you even when you guys bore me. <laughs> I choose you when you hurt me. I choose you even when you embarrass me. That daughter of God, son of God, um, my beloved, I'm going to keep choosing you forever and ever into eternity. And the same way I choose you, I want you to choose one another. Right. And so as we then get into that place where we are loving each other and choosing each other, then what happens next? Is that the end all be all? I mean, honestly, pretty. I don't, I don't think so. Because I want to read that verse again. It says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We talked about that. But by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That loving one another was not the destination, but that was the way in which a fractured world, a confused world, would have access to the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That in choosing one another, in the disciples choosing one another, that would make way for access for generations long after their existence to experience the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus that is the larger story and narrative of human existence. And so the answer I'm going to say again is, I don't think, I think it's no. I don't think spiritual growth is the end all be all. Because Christ's love compels us to go beyond ourselves and to our places of comfort. It compels us to radically advance the cause of Jesus. And Jesus' community experienced this power that brought them together, that Simon and Simon and Matthew were come together, but they were also sent out for the good of everyone. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about everyone, I think about the welfare of our city. I think about those who sit on the margins. I think about those who do not yet know the goodness of God for themselves. And I think about our neighbors. And so, Pradeep, I want to say one thing is that one of the challenges of this past year has been thinking through, do we do life-on-life discipleship still? Do we still emphasize that? In a, in a time where we can't even meet in person, mm-hmm. right? This is, this is unusual, right? Like us getting to dress and we were talking about how unusual this feels. It, does life-on-life discipleship make sense? And that was one of the questions I had to sit on for a while. 
But as I read the scripture and I think about how God works, I can't help but think like pandemic, we have lost so many things. But of all the things we're gonna lose, we cannot lose this aspect of community, this aspect of loving one another and loving one another cross barriers because scripture says, and I'm gonna read it again, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I just want to end by sharing um, a quick text, if you will. Um, I have a good friend, and I won't um, share her name, and I won't share details about her, but she, I got her permission to share this. But she, I invited her to one of our community spaces recently. And, you know, inviting a friend is always kind of like inviting a friend to family interactions. You're like a little bit nervous, like, is this person going to be okay? <laughs> what jokes are going to be said? You know, that sort of thing. Uh, actually, you were in that community space. Yeah, I'd be but... <laughs> um, but afterwards, I wanted to check in with her because I was just like, you know, I just want to see how she experienced that. And this is the text that she sent when we dialogued together. Um, she said, it was great. I would like to keep joining. It's painful to hear about so much suffering, but it's also very warm and inviting and powerful that you all care about one another's struggles. I feel sad for people raised agnostic and secular like me because we don't ever feel loved and cared for that way, like ever. I'm serious. Like I felt sad being there and being like, wow, I never have so many kind faces looking at me and loving me without asking anything in return. Just all the platonic love and care is unbelievable, especially across race and gender. Men are only nice to me when they want something. And I mean the specificity of the prayers for each other, the love and the tenderness, it's something I never had and still don't to that degree, especially with men. And that's powerful. Um, I didn't, that wasn't scripted at all. Mm -hmm. And that was just the experience of my friend. And I think that is the power of loving one another, of being able to be to a world, whether we're strangers, whether we've known each other for 10 years, 20 years, however many years, the power of Christ in loving one another for our good, right? And for God's glory. And so Pradeep, I just like to ask you to pray for us Sure. Because all these things we're talking about, yes, we are inspired by Jesus. I think many of us are inspired by Jesus, but we also need the power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to live in us so we can receive this gift that God has for us. So can you just pray for our congregation? Sure, yeah, I'd love to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example. We thank you that you are a God who leans into diverse spaces. You are a God who celebrates us from where we are. Um, and we thank you for how you call us. Uh, acknowledging where we are, you call us to come follow you. Lord God, I ask that we would not take for granted um, new communities, uh, life groups, and the communities that we have found as a result of being here. Um, even as I've been listening to Ruth share these texts, I am convicted of how much I might take some of this for granted. And so we ask that we would be your hands, your feet. We would humbly um, serve you. We would realize the gifts that you have showered upon us. And Lord, that we would engage together. We would um, engage when it's hard. We would spend the necessary emotional energy and um, that we would love you. We would love you, that we would love each other. We would love those around us. And may we be attentive to how you want to call us to further and advance your kingdom and your gospel, Lord God. And so 
to your name be all glory, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name.